Welcome to the City Beautiful Church podcast. Thank you for taking the time to join our family as we strive to live together in heavenly reality. For more great content, visit us online at citybeautiful.ch. Um, welcome, everybody. Uh, my name is Ryan. I'm pastor here at City Beautiful Church. Um, we're uh, we're going to be doing some really great things today. Um, I was going to say, I wish that everybody could sit in the front row um, because y'all sound really good. That's part of the reason why I like sitting here is because I can hear you singing over me. And, you know, I really believe um, musical worship as a spiritual discipline uh, is partially about us singing truths over one another that sometimes we don't always believe, right? Like we come here and you're like, I don't think I've got it today. And it's okay because there's like a hundred other people around you. They're singing these things for you, kind of like musically. You know, like there's that scene in the Old Testament where um, Aaron uh, and another friend of Moses, they have to hold up his arms with his staff. As long as the staff is in the air, he's going to win. And they have to come and support him in that. And I feel like that's a lot of times what's happening with worship is that we're kind of like holding each other up in the times that we don't have it in us to believe uh, the things that we're saying. And and then we sing things that sometimes we're like, I don't know about this today. You're like, that's okay, but we're doing this together. And I think that that's so important. And, and that's, and it's really going to be, you know, I didn't plan on saying that, but I think that it's going to really speak into a lot of, of what I feel like the Lord has in store for us here today. So I'm going to pray uh, and we'll just get into it. So Heavenly Father, uh, we testify to the truth that you are here and that you're with us and that you're for us. You are not against us. Lord, we don't want to go any further um, without acknowledging that truth. Where we might uh, so easily miss this moment with you, with one another, uh, because we're already in the future thinking about the next thing. Or we're still stuck in the past dwelling on something from this morning, from this week, from last month, from 20 years ago, whatever it might be. We want to be here, but we need your help to get us here. So would you open up our hearts um, to receive this present moment as a gift? Open our ears to hear your voice calling us home. Teach us how to enter into your presence with all of our fears and anxieties, with all of our guilt and our regret, and to still enter into your presence because you are not ashamed of us. So may the words of my lips and the meditation of all of our hearts be ever pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So this year, um, this is our vision that we've had for the year, all our allegiance to King Jesus. So generally what we've been doing the past several years is right around October, um, our leaders, our elders, we come together, um, we worship, and then we create a significant amount of space for everybody to go and to listen for the voice of God on behalf of our community um, and after that period of time, we come together and people begin to share what they saw, what they heard. Maybe it's a verse, maybe it's an image, maybe it's a memory, maybe it's a word, whatever it might be. You know, we, we're a community that believes in really learning how to actively listen to the voice of God uh, and getting in tune with how each one of us does it because that's a little bit different. But the incredible variety that's present in this room of how God speaks to us is actually one of our greatest assets. Amen? Like we don't all listen to God in the same way. That would be boring, and we wouldn't need each other if that was the case, but we don't. 
And so I kind of gather all of that together from our leaders and our elders, and then I pray over it for about a month and just really see, like, what's the common thread? What might the Lord be inviting us to in the next season? And so at the beginning of this year, we talked about this idea that all our allegiance to King Jesus, using the word allegiance uh, for faith, because many of us uh, have grown up with this idea that faith is kind of this passive trust that maybe, probably, possibly God's going to do something. I just need to twiddle my thumbs until I die uh, so I can get to heaven. And that's kind of like the Christian faith. But when we, when we reframe it as allegiance, um, what we see is it's this embodied uh, getting behind Jesus as our king and, and every part of who we are is being gathered up in him and being led somewhere new. So allegiance has this idea of salvation and restoration of wholeness, but it's the whole person, it's the full-bodied expression of what it means to be a human being when we pledge our allegiance to King Jesus. And so um, every series that we've been doing has been kind of examining that from slightly different angles. In, in the, the first series, we went through the Sermon on the Mount, sort of as Jesus' kingdom manifesto. What does it look like to live as kingdom people? We allowed Paul's letter to the Colossians um, to, to lay us into, like, what does it mean to be the holy and faithful? What does this look like on the other side? Like, as we are giving our allegiance to Jesus day by day, how are we being changed? And then we just wrapped up last week looking at this one particular passage in Colossians 3 where Paul talks about the virtues. And so we looked at each of the virtues that Paul offers us uh, in that passage and saying, okay, so being a Christian is not about doing the right things or not doing the wrong things. It's not about action. It's not our religion is not about behavior management. And there's a tiny baby that just keeps waving at me, and it's the most adorable thing. Who is that? Mitch, did you have a baby? Oh, my, oh my gosh. She's, like, looking at me and just affirming everything I'm saying. Thank you, tiny baby. It also looks tinier in Mitch's arms, too. So it could be a very large baby. Sabrina? Serena. Serene. I love it. Bless you, child. Can you, Johnny, can you bring the lights down more so I can't see anybody? No, I'm just kidding. Um, so we, we were looking at how like the, the Christian journey, it's not about behavior modification. And, and one of the things that we were talking about was, you know, far from us living in an immoral society, which is what a lot of us have been raised to believe, like, oh, in, in the church, like we're moral people and everybody out there, they're just immoral people. We actually live in a hyper-moralistic society. We live in a society now where there's probably more belief and therefore, there's more expectation for you to have an opinion, a posture, and a stance on every single thing that comes across your screen. And the problem is that we're, we're eating ourselves alive because we're so hyper-moral, because we have such high standards. And, and some of the things that are missing from the conversation that I think our Christian faith can offer is this place of forgiveness and grace, because those are the things that have been missed. So last week, we meditated on that entire passage in Colossians 3, 1 to 17, and I was really struck by the last couple of verses. So we you know, spent seven weeks on uh, Colossians 3, 12 to 14. This is the piece that comes immediately after that, and I think it sets us up so beautifully for today. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. Now what do we mean when we say peace? Peace is not the absence of conflict. Peace is not the absence of war. Peace, the, the Hebrew word shalom, it means togetherness. It means wholeness. And one of the things that we believe that God accomplishes on the cross through the, the, the death and resurrection of Jesus 
is that there's kind of two levels of peace. First of all, we have peace with God. We have connection, wholeness, relationship with God. And the second thing that we believe is that we have peace um, within humanity itself. Paul talks about this in Ephesians, specifically with with the Jews and the Greeks. Uh, And we see kind of all through Paul's writings, he takes these um, these dichotomies, these binaries that we, we find in, in human tribalism where we break one another apart. He says, well, now there is no Jew nor Greek, male and female, slave nor free, for all are one in Christ Jesus. Where we would say maybe, now there is no Republican and Democrat and black and white. Like all of these different people groups are being brought together and finding peace. Now again, think about our hyper-moralistic society where we're constantly drawing lines in the sand on who's in and who's out, who is worthy of our attention, who is not worthy. And I guarantee you that those delineations that we make fall far short of the vision that Paul gives us here. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Since as members of one body, you were called to peace. And be thankful. How many of you are thankful that you're part of a a family of God with people that you normally wouldn't associate with in real life. Like, I would never talk to Mitch in real life if it wasn't for Jesus. I'm going to just pick it on you all day now. And that's, that's one of the things I think is so fascinating about church. And again, why I love the Eucharist, especially when we come to the Lord's table and we look across the table and go, she gets to be here too? Really? And you're like, Yeah. Because that she's here because of Jesus, not because of your political affiliation, not because of your socioeconomic status, not because of your race, not because of your gender, not because of your sexual orientation. You are here because you've been brought here by Jesus. So be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. I think it's really powerful. Because there's some practicality to it. And if we're kind of following Paul's line of thought through Colossians 3, it's you are being formed by the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus within you and among you, And you're becoming a kind of person that the virtues are the character of Jesus on display in his people, in his body. It's not about what you do. It's about who you are becoming. And how do we do that? How do we we enter into that journey? This is what Paul is saying. You have to do it together. You have to do it together. Because our allegiance to King Jesus is a journey we embark upon together. It's something that we have to do in unity with one another. I think one of the saddest translation issues with Scripture is the word you, okay? Nine times out of ten, when you come across the word you in the New Testament, it should be y'all or vosotros, for those of you who speak Spanish. So the problem is, in our hyper-individualistic society, where many of us have been raised in a church culture which just says, well, this is how you do Bible study. You open the Bible, you read a passage, and then you kind of figure out what that means, and then you just do your best to live out whatever that principle is, which I think is a poisonous way to read Scripture. Scripture's been to be read in community. But we read the word you, and you think me as an individual. But most of the time, Paul is saying, y'all. This is why we need that deep south translation of the Bible. Let the peace of Christ rule in y'all's hearts. 
right? Let the message of Christ uh, dwell richly among y'all as, as y'all teach and admonish one another, okay? Or if you're from Pittsburgh, yes, please, Nicole, thank you. Or I can, I, can, I can do a lot of different translations. If you're from Pittsburgh, it's yeans. For us from Northern Ireland, it's usins. Use guys, yeah. And this is what we need, you know? We need to reclaim. And I, and I honestly do think, you know, there's a lot of things happening within the, uh, the American church right now. And I know there's a lot, of, like, a lot of pain and there's a lot of struggle and whatnot, but I think one of the things that's being revealed or, or apocalypsed, as we've been talking about, is the need to reclaim the place of the community. And I've, I've heard a lot of te- te- uh, um, teachers say this, that it's, we're going to be in a position where we need to reclaim the local church and it to be very, very local. That a lot of the idea of the kind of nationally projected church is dying. And we're seeing that because people are walking away because they haven't had any connection because they were given all the wrong expectations for church by the church. Amen? Which is that it's a TED Talk sandwich between two U2 concerts. That's what church is. That's what church is. You go, you go for an hour. You get inspired. You get hyped or you're taught how to manage your finances better, and then you go home, and then you just kind of go to work the next day, and that's, that's about it. That form of church is dying. And one of the problems is that especially within American evangelicalism, we have overprivileged the idea of personal salvation as the gospel. Okay? Let me say that again because it's very complex. In American evangelicalism, we have overprivileged the place of personal salvation as the gospel. Okay, right? And what that means is this. The gospel is Jesus died for my sins so that I can go to heaven when I die. Okay, so the center of the gospel is me and it's my eternal salvation, which is this thing that happens after death. And there's a slow transformation that you can see. Like if you were to go to any of the apostles, the first writers of the New Testament, the first followers of Jesus, and you were to tell them that's what the gospel is, they wouldn't know what you're talking about. Because that wasn't the way that they thought about the gospel. The gospel was a declaration that Jesus is king, followed by an invitation, repent and believe, or change the way you think because the new reality of God is so close that you can touch it. And to enter into that gospel. Now, personal salvation is a part of that. It is a benefit of the gospel, but it is not the gospel. And when we've turned personal salvation into this fetish that, All we're trying to do is get people saved. This is kind of the revivals that happened through the 1800s up in the 1950s and 60s. And some people that did some genuinely wonderful work, but we got a lot of butts in seats and we didn't do anything with people once they got there. It was all about salvation. It was all about altar calls. It was all about getting people to pray the Jesus prayer, but then that's kind of where the whole thing ended. And then the 21st century happened. And an entire... I would say two or three generations of Christians did not have the tools to know how to remain faithful to Jesus in a constantly changing world. Because when it's only about your personal salvation, you can throw out most of the story. The Old Testament has nothing to offer you. 75% of the, the Gospels don't have anything to offer you. And we can't even read the Scriptures because we're so conditioned to be looking for this personal salvation message that it's just about me. Now, in my generation, and we made fun of it a lot because we're millennials and we're cynical, we talk about dating Jesus, right? 
just, it's just me and Jesus. It's just going to be me and Jesus. Um, I've made this very bold claim before, and I'll make it again. There is no such thing. There is no such thing as the Christian faith outside of the church. Now, that does not necessarily mean the institution, okay? There can be a difference between a 501c3 nonprofit and a church. But your, your relation, like your, the Christian faith is not an individual endeavor. Because we read passages like this. Or when people say, I love Jesus, but I hate the church. Well, you know who Jesus loves? <sighs> And if you really, like, you guys, you go, those of you who are in love know that you begin to love what your lover loves, right? Hello? Do you want to come in? Oh, okay. Just preaching the gospel. But uh, we'll talk about dinosaurs later, too, so. And I think we're, we're reclaiming that, but we're in a lot of the growing pains of that because this gospel is so unfamiliar to a lot of American Christians and, and former Christians and ex-evangelicals. And that's the problem is that familiarity breeds unfamiliarity. Like we're, we're, we think like this is the struggle we're at within American societies. We think we know what Jesus is like. We think we know what Christianity is. And so we're actually tuned out to being able to hear it with fresh ears. Oh, yeah, yeah, I know. Like, I'm astounded by the, the assumptions that people make about, like, positive assumptions or seemingly positive assumptions people make about Jesus. And I'm like, have you, have you read him? <laughs> like, you know, it's like this, like, well, at the end of the day, Jesus was a great moral teacher. You're like, I, have you read him? Yeah, it's a lot weirder than that. Like, <laughs> go and read all the prophecies about the fall of Rome in Matthew 23. What's the, what's the moral teaching there? Or the very strict, direct claims that he makes about being God incarnate. What's the... Like, how do I make that applicable to my life? You know, like, we're so obsessed with utilitarianism. Like, this has to be useful. Well, why? Maybe it has to be transcendent. Maybe it has to be beautiful. And we're so familiar with what we think Jesus is like. We're so familiar with what we think church is supposed to be that we miss it. But I found this, I've always found this quote so powerful. This is from Uncle Stanley Hauerwas. He says, we serve the world by showing it something it is not, namely the place where God is forming a family of strangers. I love that. Because in our hyper-moralistic society, we see strangers pitted against strangers. The pandemic has exacerbated that. The internet has exacerbated that. We've turned people into opponents to be overcome. And there's one place in the world where God, the God of all creation is drawing together a bunch of strangers and saying, I'm calling you family. Or where uh, in, uh, Peter quotes the Old Testament, he says, once you were no people, but now you are God's people. And so it is not surprising to me when we don't get along because we're strangers. Because we come in with all these different stories and personalities and angles to the faith and we rub shoulders with these people and it's un comfortable but we also begin to re realize oh that uncomfortability that's called sanctification that's the place where god is doing something in us because of what is ar arises from within us because of the other person present in my life you see i thought like a lot of times we choose the me and jesus thing because it's self-preservation 
But if I just make it about me and Jesus, then I don't have to engage with other Christians. And then I don't have to actually change. And I can actually build a vision of Jesus that doesn't want me to change. That doesn't actually want me to grow. That offers me this very poor substitute for love that's called tolerance. I just want a Jesus that tolerates me how I already am. But as soon as I'm engaging with other people with whom I might disagree or I'm uncomfortable with because they're in this thing too, then I, it starts to raise questions within me. But what if that is the very place of transformation? What if that's the work that Jesus is doing? And so we must choose to commit to one another over the long haul as we are transformed into the body of Christ. That's the work of salvation. It's not a simple one and done thing. I love that the word salvation in Greek, sozo, it means rescue, but it also means healing. And for our Orthodox brothers and sisters, their vision of salvation is much more about healing. It's not that so much that we're like guilty people that need uh, to be punished, but that we're sick people that need to be made whole. And that's a lifetime progress. But you see, another one of the problems that we have in our modern hypermoralistic society is we also worship this cult of spontaneity. We worship this cult of spontaneity, which says, well, these things are just going to happen in my life. They're going to happen to me. And we've imported that into the Christian household, and we've kind of stamped that on the Holy Spirit. That it's just going to happen, because I have the Holy Spirit. Like, I was baptized, I received the Holy Spirit, and now I just, I'm doing it. Here it is. And automatically, whatever I believe must be validated. I get a lot of questions about uh, discerning the Holy Spirit. And I think that's really good questions to have. How do we know when it's the Holy Spirit? But so often what's tied in with those questions is my feelings, like my emotions that are happening to me in that. And a lot of times what we believe because of romanticism is in a therapeutic deity, like God wants me to feel good. And so when I feel good, that must be the Spirit of God. And when I feel bad, that's the devil. Okay? And that's a lot of times what we do. So if this feels good, that must be the spirit leading me. If this feels bad, that must be me in temptation I need to run away. Uh, but I have found that the second sweetest voice in my head after the voice of Jesus is that of the Satan. Can anybody testify? Oh my gosh, man, got some silky vocals right there. And a lot of times, the voice of the Holy Spirit does not feel very good. Now, a lot of times I'm filtering that through my own stuff and I'm confusing conviction with condemnation, but that's on me. That's not the Holy Spirit. But we have this cult of spontaneity that these things are just going to kind of happen to me. And so we get frustrated after a month or two months because something hasn't changed in our lives and we decide that we're going to walk away from the whole thing. I find this a lot in, in friendships and relationships where I'm going to try something for two months and then if it doesn't happen, I'm just going to try the next thing. And I've, I've discovered that what happens when I do this is I inevitably just delay the place of me actually getting to deep abiding relationship. I think it probably takes you at least four years to have a deep, meaningful relationship or friendship. But we're so transient now, and we're so addicted to this spontaneity and like instant gratification that we miss that. I think what I, <clears throat> what I really see so powerfully from this past series is that virtue is something that we develop in community, that we talked about this frequently with patience, with, with generosity and forgiveness and love. Like all of these virtues, they have to have someone else present in that work or else it doesn't actually mean anything. And I think that that's what Paul says when he says, over all these virtues, put in, like bind them up in love because love gives them trajectory and it gives them this long haul view. 
And so what I'm going to do is I'm actually going to have a couple people come up and share a little bit of, the, of their experiences in our community groups over this past season because I want you to hear from, from the people that you're connected to, whether you realize it or not, that this, this is what happens. So the first that I do want to invite up is our dear friend Mitch. Everybody give him a round of applause. <clears throat> you can grab that microphone over there. Um, and Mitch is in uh, Steve and Jenna Wimmer's group. Go over um, this way a little bit so you're in the light. There you go. What does that want to mean, Pastor? I, I want you to be in the light as he is in the light. Um, yep, church kids. So uh, I joined, me and my wife, Laura, joined Jenna and Steve's uh, community group six months ago, five months ago. Um, it has got me comfortable with being uncomfortable. Um, like Ryan was saying, there's a lot of people in this group that we probably wouldn't hang out. Like Ryan said, we wouldn't hang out with you. I mean, I, I, I take that to heart, too. I love you. Um, and it's got me to uh, be able to look at the way that I um, think about people, that I, <clears throat> excuse me, that I, um, it's got me curious to know people on a deeper level um, versus just judging them from the book by its cover. So we're going through a book called Soul Talk, and it's also got me focused on, why is my voice doing this? <clears throat> got me focused on listening intently um, versus coming up with a, a narrative in my head already. Like some of you know my story and know some of the things that I've been through. And um, so I tend to, my dark times are, are something that, that is personal to me. And I tend to judge people who don't um, or who have not been through the things that I've been through and are having tough times with things that I believe that I could walk through easily. And that's not Christ-like. That's not right. So whatever I went through has no um, bearing on your personal darkness. You know, your personal darkness is yours, and it's this group has got me to be able to look at that and accept that versus trying to judge based on my story. Um, it's uh, we, I've made great friends in this group, um, and people that truly love me and it's very um, it's very special for people to show intent love to you even though you are nothing like them you know and it's making me learn how to do that also thank you that's great um, and the second person is Taylor everybody give Taylor a round of applause on but the fog is so bad right now it's not working okay um hi i'm taylor oh i can't see anyone this is weird okay hi um so i joined a community group at the beginning of summer and i was still fairly new i've only been coming here since march so that's six or seven months and uh i wanted to get involved i wanted to get connected 
And I grew up in the kind of church that you were talking about where you, you know, come every Sunday and that's it. You do the personal salvation thing and then you don't really grow much beyond that. Um, and then later I learned about what community was and how transformative it could be to be really vulnerable with a group of people. And so uh, once I got here, I decided, yeah, I need that. I don't think I'll be able to do church any other way. Um, but this group of people that I've been spending time with every week, I was most impressed when we first started meeting because they just kind of jumped in feet first with their stories and their lives and their hearts and um, got really real really fast. And it was really cool to see that commitment to each other so early on. And now I have people um, that I can go to if I need prayer for something and they'll really actually pray for it. <laughs> and they'll actually consistently uh, keep each other in the loop and, and um, let them know what's going on in their lives. And um, the other thing was the way that I've been able to learn from their stories. Sometimes I feel like when I'm in a group of people, especially Jesus people, I feel like I have to bring something to the table, something really deep, something really spiritual, something that I've been learning. And I'm learning how to not feel that pressure because there's been many times where I've really had nothing to say and I can learn from their journeys and learn from what they've been going through with God. And that has really helped me in the times when I didn't really feel like I had much to bring. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, it, I've been seeing the way that Jesus can love me kind of with all of my senses. When I was in pain, they laid hands on me and prayed for me. And when I, um, you know, we've, we've shared meals together, we've shared stories together, and it's just, yeah, it's made all the difference, and I, I love them very much. Yeah. And so our, our kind of larger vision for community building, and I think, you know, we're in an, an interesting season of almost rebuilding our church, you know, like uh, like a lot of churches, the, the Barna Group suggests that 70% of Christians have changed uh, churches because of the pandemic uh, for a variety of reasons. They've or they've stopped going to church or whatever it is. But we've had a lot of people like Taylor come in and and recognizing like I want to get more serious about this. Like I know that there's something more than just pray this prayer and then you go to heaven when you die. And that's what we're kind of staking our claim on is like there's people that actually want that. And we're going to be that kind of church. And so um, you can go to citybeautiful.ch slash praxis fall 2021, and you'll be able to see all of the opportunities that we have um, for entering into deep community. We, have, uh, we do something called spheres, and these are uh, groups that are kind of oriented to like individual fun events where it's about relationship building. So we've got one about disc golf, we've got one about volleyball, we've got one about like just adventuring in the outdoors. Um, and that's just about enjoying creation together. It's about having fun. It's about making those initial connections. And basically, those will be kind of uh, you know pockmarked through the fall. Somebody will notify you, hey, we're going to go to so-and-so place. We're going to get together on this, this evening or this Saturday or whatever, and you could respond to that. Uh, the next is that we have two studies um, through the fall. So we like to have a couple opportunities that they're very finite commitments, and they're very focused in what they're there for. Like the expectations are very clear. 
It's not about you coming and like airing out all your dirty laundry with a bunch of strangers. It's about like doing this thing. So we have two. Um, one of them is that uh, our dear friend Jonathan Hodges is going to be doing a Bible study through the book of Philippians, verse by verse, which I've always found is like the best way to to enter into Scripture is just to to let the 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 person who wrote the Scriptures lead you. Um, so he's going to be doing that, and then Nicole is going to be doing one for women specifically, and it's a, a book called The Relentless Elimination of Hurry, or Ruthless, sorry, Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Comer, which is a highly, highly, highly recommended book, and so that's going to be for women specifically, and I think it's capped at 10, is that right? 10 in person, and then there's going to be an online option. And then our third is our community groups, so where our, our studies are a bit more like focused, this is what we're this is the aspect of the Christian life that we're looking into. Our community groups are the places where, over time, God is forming a family of strangers. And you're gathering together with these same people week in and week out to know them and to allow yourself to be known. Um, and so that's a little bit more of a commitment, but I think that's where the real work of spiritual transformation happens. And when it's shoulder to shoulder with people who know us and love us over time. So those are some of those options. You can go right now. You can start filling out that form if you want. Um, but the other half um, of what I wanted to, to highlight today, not just about us gathering together, of being discipled, of, of developing this deep fellowship, but it's also the place of serving one another. For us, to practice allegiance to King Jesus is to care for his body. I think another sad aspect of this personal salvation model of the gospel is it's about me as an individual and there's a bunch of other individuals that just kind of happen to be in this room like singing the same songs and listening to the same guy drone on and make dinosaur jokes and that's what doing church is um, but we believe that you know if allegiance is it's holistic it means it's our mind it's our heart it's our body and it's our soul like Jesus is putting together the pieces of who we are as individuals, but he's also bringing individuals together to create that new human family that was our original intention, kind of our Eden, the model for what it means to be a loving community. And one of the, the one of the, I would say, the great evils that has shattered us as a, as a human family is this idea of just being an individual, being a self-made person, right? Like that's the, that's the narrative. You're, you're a self-made person. You get to determine who you are. And that's very common within our modern American culture. And I think one of the things that King Jesus saves us from is individualism. One of the things he saves us from is individualism, that it's just about me. Jesus is my boyfriend. You know, like I get to decide who I am and what I do with my life. And it all sounds very self-empowering, but you probably recognize it's an incredibly lonely way to live. Because in, as human beings, we are intimately connected to one another. We are like we are creatures that like crave connection, and it's a scary thing to allow yourself to rely on other people, and for other people to rely on you. There's somebody in this room. I won't point out who they were, and they said to me this week. I thought it was so funny. I don't want a dog because I don't like people to need me. <laughs> I didn't want to tell you who it was, and I thought it was so funny. Um, they didn't really mean it. It was a funny joke. But we're so wired and ingrained to this individualistic way of seeing things. Like, I'm just this solitary movement, uh, like solitary unit moving through all of these other solitary units that we miss 
what it means to be the body of Christ. To be saved is to be saved into the church. You, you are not allowed to escape that. I'm sorry. Like for you to exempt yourself from the church, and again, I'm talking about the actual church, not the institution, not the 501c3 nonprofit organization. You cannot choose to follow Jesus and choose out of church. I say that very seriously. You can't do it. Because that was not Jesus' intentions for you. And if you're going to follow him, he wants you to be part of his body. And another thing that we're saved from when we enter into this family of strangers is consumerism. Another thing our culture tells us time and again is, at the end of the day, you are a consumer, which means you're not enough, but if you buy this toothpaste or you drive this kind of car, then you're going to be fulfilled, you're going to be happy, you're going to be whole. So you see how individualism and consumerism meet together. And what happens so often is that we've imported that consumeristic mentality into church itself. And a lot of churches have actually placated that. And it's like we've got to put on the bigger show and we've got to have more hype and we've got to have more branding and we've got to do more things. Like a lot of times people were asking me at the, 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 in the beginning of me being here, like this church, we, we don't have any vision. We don't have any vision. I'm like, uh, I'm an Anglican. I don't know what vision is in a church. Like it's the same. It's been for 2,000 years. It hasn't changed. And people start showing me examples of like, oh, this is what like churches that have vision. I'm like, oh, you want branding. You want a bright, shiny bobble that's going to like occupy your attention for six months before you get bored, and then you just need another one. That's the consumerist mentality. And one of the things that consumerism tells us is everything costs me, right? Because everything is transactional exchange. And so I invest in things with a return on investment. I once had someone tell me that they sat down um, with the pastors of the church they were going to at the time, and they said, here's all the things that the church should be providing me for my 10% tithe, and I only get this amount, so I'm only going to give you 2 to 3%. And they told this like I was supposed to be impressed. And I didn't even know what to say. So I just emailed them later, and I'm like, uh, there's a sermon that I preached recently about this. You know, we're just so wired to this idea of consumerism and return on investment. And so when it comes to like taking care of the body of Christ, like us taking care of one another, that's the way we think of it. Every time that I'm signed up for something, it's going to cost me. Every time that I'm, that I'm asked to serve and take care of kids or to greet people, it's, just, it's going to cost me. And I'm always like, I have this like emotional bank account that I'm constantly in this transactional exchange. And it's one of these self-fulfilling prophecies that I believe. Like if, if you believe that serving will cost you in a negative, it will. Because you've already stepped in with that mentality. But if you believe that part of the salvific work of the Spirit of Jesus in your life is that you give yourself over to the body, that you serve, that it actually brings you to life. Like what if, this is crazy, what if the, the place of salvation was for you to enter in and to say, I'm going to commit to these people and I'm going to serve them with joy and I'm going to offer them the best of what I have and I actually become more of a human being because of that. And that's, I think, the great exchange that we're making when it comes to serving, to believe. Now, again, yes, boundaries, absolutely. Yes, like having rhythms and healthy expectations, all of that. I'm not negating any of that. But I think we've already missed the mark when we talk about like boundaries when it comes to serving one another, when it's always negatively charged. 
Like we're miserly and walking around and like, oh, I only have seven days in my week and I don't want to give them to anybody and I can't give them this hour on a Sunday morning. It's like, what are we doing? You make boundaries out of love and care and long-term vision. You don't make it out of like this kind of spontaneous, negatively charged miserliness. And so what we're going to do is I want, to take, I want you to take uh, like four minutes and I want you to turn to the people next to you. And I want you to just to discuss these two questions. What has been your experience serving in church? And what does a healthy serving culture look like? Like whether or not you've experienced it, like brainstorm, what do you think it would look like for a healthy serving culture in a church? And feel free to get really practical with that. So I'm going to give you four minutes, turn to the people next to you, have these discussion around these two questions. about one more minute.
So we've always believed as a community that it's the work of the many, not the few, that makes this thing happen. And I think one of the, one of the like, you know, examples of this consumeristic mindset in American church is there's a few professional Christians that are up on a stage and they put on a show and I come and I just num, 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 num. Like I just gobble it up and that's, that's what church is. And that's, I think, why it's so difficult. Like a lot of times, I think probably the biggest thing that I've observed in like an unhealthy serving culture is because there only are a few people doing the work that should be for the many. And so people get burned out because they have to show up and they have to keep doing this thing over and over and over again. And there isn't that like level of, of care and attention to one another or because we're so top-down hierarchical, it's like this expectation that the person above me, they're going to do it and I'm going to abdicate responsibility to them. But I think the model that we see in the New Testament time and again, whether it's through like the stories and acts or it's the writings of Paul, it's like they all owned this thing together and everybody was in and everybody was serving. And guess what? It's like if everybody's serving, like if everybody's in and everybody's taking care of one another and they're attentive and they're asking questions and making sure no one's getting burned out and like making sure we're doing things efficiently and with care, then fewer of us get burned out. But if there's only like six of us doing it, like we all get burned out and bitter. And so you are the answer to the problem. Like you are. And you're going to make, yes, I'm saying y'all, I'm saying yeans, but I'm also saying you in the particular, you are the answer to the problem. So if you go to that Praxis page, and you can get to that through the weekly as well, you see that we've got a few opportunities for you to serve in our community. Uh, First of all, we've got our engagement team, Massive shout out to Charity, who's the leader of the, like, this is uh, the people that make you feel welcome when you come in, that help you to get in here and and kind of shuffle through the dark, um, who want to help you get connected on a deeper level. Like, that's what the engagement team is. Our operations team are people who really are passionate about kind of creating a a space that's conducive for worship. So they show up early, um, they put the signs out, you know, like they're making sure that the the giving boxes are out, anything that we're doing for experiences, they're setting that stuff up physically. Um, Our tech team up in the booth, give them a shout out. Um, They make sure that you have lyrics, they make sure that the lights are shining, they make sure that the audio sounds good. And for some of those things, you don't have to have any skills. Like we can teach you how to do it. Um, and then our Greenhouse Kids Ministry, which is like up and back there, like Bree is leading. This is about us raising our children in relationship with Jesus. How many of you had a mediocre to low experience in kids ministry? Just me? I can say that because my dad's not here this weekend. I'm just kidding. He's going to listen to the podcast. He had a great experience. Um, what if what if the opportunity that God is offering you to redeem your story of mediocre kids ministry is for you to get involved and make awesome kids ministry? Like, what if that's where the healing comes? Just a thought. Uh, And then finally, worship. Kaylee, everyone give Kaylee a shout out. Um, So these are people who uh, want to use their gifts and their talents to kind of create that space for us to enter into the presence of the Lord. So you can sign up for more information on any of those opportunities to serve. Like I said, the more people we have involved, the less pressure there are on the people who are dedicated to do that. And when you sign up, our expectation is that it's for a season. So it'd be from now until the end of the year to try something out, you know, just to see if maybe it works. And it's like, ideally it would be once a month. So I'm talking about four times before the end of the year. Like, I think it's doable, you know, Um, but for us to choose to commit, to enter into this family together and to bear the burden with one another and believe 
that in doing so, we actually become more human in God's way. We call that salvation um, as we live out the gospel. So I want to invite you to stand with me as we continue in worship. I want you to close your eyes, and I'm going to read again uh, that passage from Paul. And just allow the Lord to speak to you through it, whatever it is that he might uh, be showing you. Maybe it's a word or phrase that really sticks out to you, or it's a memory, or just something that he wants you to pray into more so that you can find a bit more healing. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Since as members of one body, you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Let's worship. This has been the City Beautiful Church podcast. To stay connected, follow us on social everywhere at City Beautiful CH. We hope you join us again soon.